Hello, and welcome to Resolutions, a podcast about dispute resolution and prevention. For those of you who are listening for the first time, this podcast is a new project created by the ABA's Section on Dispute Resolution, where one of three hosts have a conversation with members of the dispute resolution community about various topics of interest to the field of dispute prevention and resolution. I'm one of your hosts, Adam Martin, and this week, I'll be talking with Harut Samra of DLA Piper in Miami. As a brief introduction, Harut attended the University of Miami School of Law and graduated in 2009. While in law school, he interned with the Department of Justice Antitrust Division before moving into private practice upon graduation. Good morning, Harut. Good morning, Adam. Thank you for having me. Thank you to the R section for putting on this program. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for joining us. And that was just a very brief introduction. So is there anything you'd like to add to your background? Uh, no, I think I think you got it. I've, I've been at DLA Piper uh, now based in Miami for almost a decade. Uh, I've been practicing for about that long. I was briefly at another firm. And my practice concentrates on international dispute resolution, and that includes both litigation in U.S. courts. Occasionally, we supervise litigation abroad as well, uh, but a significant amount of arbitration uh, that really has now become increasingly global. Uh, being in Miami, there's a strong emphasis on Latin American disputes, and it's really regional, a significant uh, part of my practice, but increasingly we've been seeing arbitration and other dispute matters that touch Asia uh, and Europe as well. well that's, that's fascinating, and I want to I talk more about your international arbitration practice specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, but first, when I was reading through your, your profile, uh, something struck me as kind of particularly interesting and unique. I noticed that you were recently reappointed to a second term on the Florida 3rd District Court of Appeal Judicial Nominating Commission. Uh, would you mind right. just briefly talking about that experience? Yeah, no, thank you for asking about that. And it's actually a very timely question. I was elected the chair as well of the Judicial Nominating Commission last year, and I'm currently serving as the chair of the commission, and we have two vacancies. In fact, we received a a number of applications yesterday from candidates who are applying for consideration uh, to for an appointment to the Third District Court of Appeal, which is one of Florida's five intermediate courts of appeal. Based on our uh, constitution, though, in general, they are the last resort for most litigants. Uh, Our process in Florida, established in our constitution, provides for judicial nominating commissions uh, for each of the district courts of appeal, the Supreme Court, uh, and, the, and the state trial courts uh, throughout the state. Each of these commissions uh, receives applications from candidates who are interested in serving, uh, considers them, interviews the candidates, vets the candidates, and sends them to the governor for appointment. Uh, we don't have a uh, an appointment subject to review. The governor appoints uh, judges directly, but must appoint uh, from the list of candidates submitted uh, to him now uh, by the Judicial Nominating Commission. So it's an honor, frankly, for me to serve in this role. It's, it's a wonderful bit of public service. Uh, I do some litigation uh, here in, in South Florida and also elsewhere in the U.S., and so for me it's a great way to engage meaningfully uh, in, in our bar and in our legal community here in South Florida. But more than anything, I, I have a passion for public service, so this is a way for me to be able to contribute while still practicing uh, in, you know, keeping my international practice at the law firm. 
Well, that sounds like a great opportunity for service. And I think when I was reading that, one thing that uh, kind of struck me as possibly um, related to arbitration is that the selection of uh, judges might overlap in some respects with the process of selecting arbitrators. Have you found that to be true at all, or do you look for similar characteristics, um, or is or is that completely separate in your mind? You know, it's a great question, and I, I and I've never quite thought about it that way. Uh, and frankly, they're more different than they are alike, uh, but there are some key similarities. You're obviously looking for capable candidates uh, who exercise independent judgment, uh, who have integrity. There are certain core uh, principles, certain core characteristics that you're looking for whenever you're considering an appointment of any kind, right? Um, you're, you're really looking for excellent candidates. Uh, you wouldn't propose anything less to your client in the, in, if you're appointing an arbitrator. Uh, just as certainly we would never consider, you know, anything less uh, when, when you're appointing a judge. Uh, you look at a number of factors. Many of us are involved in the pledge movement uh, in the in the arbitration world, just as we are interested in ensuring that we have a diverse judiciary. Uh, we are interested in ensuring that we have a, a diverse bench of arbitrators. So there are certain similarities, uh, but beyond that, I think you're looking for fairly, you know, you're looking for fairly different things in some cases. Obviously, in arbitration, you're, you're much more focused on industry experience. You're much more focused on finding someone who is going to resolve the dispute that you have, uh, the contractual dispute that you have before you in as efficient and, and appropriate manner as possible. Uh, that's just one of the core differences. Arbitration is really principally about resolving the disputes between the parties that you, you, that you have, as opposed to litigation, which obviously being a public process, you know, also entails additional considerations like you know, the precedential value of decisions, et cetera. So I think that, you know, there are some similarities. You're, you're looking for excellent people who can bring integrity and strong uh, legal skills and, and a number of other key characteristics to the table. Um, you know, when you're looking at potential um, judicial candidates, you know, our role I think is even is it even a little more is a little greater, right? You're you're looking for people who can serve the public uh, in in a way that is just not really pertinent when you're thinking about when you're thinking about arbitrator appointments. It's an interesting thought, though. I appreciate you for you for bringing that up. I had never really considered that. No, it just struck me as something that's very unique when I was reading um, through your long list of uh, different appointments and responsibilities. So I wanted to at least briefly mention that. But um, drawing it back to kind of what we're um, focusing on here generally, um, I saw that your practice focuses uh, primarily on international arbitration and litigation. Um, do you want to talk about how you initially got into that field? Um, is it something that you set out to do, or is it just kind of where you fell in once you started the practice? Yeah, it was it was largely uh, accidental, but it was almost meant to be. I, I I think in retrospect, especially, this was really prompted by a suggestion by a professor in law school uh, who thought I should write a a paper on on this subject uh, on international arbitration. He had found an article that he thought would be of interest uh, for an independent study that I was doing with him, and he handed it to me and he said, you should consider this. 
And as with most things that happen in life, you know, the trajectory of my career changed with a completely unexpected uh, gesture by this professor. Uh, and, and really it introduced me to this practice, which at the time wasn't as prevalent yet in law schools as it's become. Uh, now I think it's increasingly one of the, you know, premier uh, topics that law, school, law students will study and, and really often express a strong interest in. This wasn't quite the case a decade ago, a little over a decade ago, almost 15 years ago now uh, when that happened. But it, that really set the, uh, the course. Uh, you mentioned I worked at the antitrust division. I had initially intended to do something more along those lines. Um, you know, my background is in economics. But the area really struck me as very interesting. I spent most of law school, you know, researching, writing about this subject. I worked for a number of practitioners who, who work in this space, and I helped them write articles, write books. And then ultimately, my first job after law school was at the firm of what, what is now Squire Patton Boggs, working in this space, uh, focusing on Latin America. And that gave me sort of the entree into this as a practitioner. Uh, and have, I've, you know, carried along since then and have continued in this space. Well, it's it's interesting you mentioned it's something that you picked up during law school. I've yet to meet a practicing attorney that practices in the area that they thought they would when they started law school. There always seems to be some kind of intervening, um, you know, fortuitous factor that, uh, comes up and redirects someone's um, practice goals. Um, that's absolutely true. I, know that I think that's exactly right. And I know there are a lot of people, especially as you said, it's becoming one of the the most influential areas of um, of law. Um, and I know a lot of people are looking to either get into that as a law student or um, transition in some cases and older attorneys. Um, if you had to give one piece of advice to either younger practitioners or attorneys looking to transition um, who want to get into international arbitration, what would you what would you advise them to do? Yeah, it, it's a challenge. Uh, it's a challenge. First, I, I would I would always uh, put that uh, put that forward. I think it is it is an increasingly important practice area. It is one that I think is at the core of the international sort of international commerce, which really drives, you know, increasingly our economy, but also the economies of a number of, of countries around the world, is the, you know, particularly in places like Miami, which are, uh, to a large degree, port cities and that thrive on this kind of international commerce. Uh, that said, it is it is a growing practice area. It isn't quite as, as big as I think some people perceive it to be. So I think, in general, uh, the first thing that I would say to anyone, and I often say to people who are interested in in considering this as a practice area is invest in it. Invest, you know, heavily in it. I mean, learn the area, go to the events, meet the people, in including students, incidentally. I, I would say this particularly to students. Uh, oftentimes, you know, hiring in this practice occurs by relationships. Uh, it, it's people who know you, who've worked with you in the past, whether that's through an organization or some other uh, extracurricular activity. I, say, I often describe these as you know, organizational things that we do in our practice. Uh, if you distinguish yourself in, in these kinds of activities, in these kinds of organizations, you're going to make relationships, and those can form the basis of an, a job offer. They can, they, can, they can ultimately lead to a job offer. They can create an opportunity that you're not expecting. There's a reason why 
these meetings and conferences are so frequent and they're so well attended. I think arbitration practitioners probably meet more than any other practice that I, at least I can think of. And I think that that's largely because it is a practice in which, you, you know, the, the council are often engaging experts uh, from among their peers, but also arbitrators. Uh, it, it is the, the one unique case in which you get to select the person who will preside over your case or the people, the tribunal who will preside over your case. And for that reason, I think there's value in, in getting out there, networking, and meeting people. That applies certainly to the practitioners, but for those who are interested in getting to the space, uh, I think it also applies. And the second thing is, is persistence. Uh, you not only need to invest, but you need to be very deliberate and persistent in how you pursue it because the opportunity may not come on day one. It may require, you know, a year or more of investment in this practice before you get that first break. Uh, I think I've seen this happen really at this point too many times to to believe that it doesn't happen. Uh, I think it's 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 just how uh, things I think develop in this practice. If someone were to initially express interest, but then not make the investment or not pursue it over time, I think it's going. It would be. It's still. It remains a fairly difficult practice area to break into. But if you do those things, I think it, they increase your your chances significantly. Um, absolutely, that sounds like great advice. And I always think one thing that um, lawyers starting out underestimate is the the value of networking, getting out and meeting a lot of people. Um, and I think that's that's great advice, but often really hard advice for people to take. It's hard to mm-hmm. put yourself out there. Um, you mentioned that you've spent most of your career in Miami, and I have to say, today of all days, that's inducing a lot of jealousy because I'm looking out the window and we're starting to get about half a foot of snow accumulation up here. Um, so I'm a little jealous that you're spending time in the great weather down there. Um, but I, I believe you focused your um, practice primarily with Latin American parties um, or cases involving Latin American parties. Um, you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier that you're expanding um, your practice to be more global. Um, but focusing on the, the Latin American countries, um, have you noticed any um, particular benefits or challenges, either cultural, legal, um, associated with practice in that region that are unique to that region? Yeah, that's a great question. I think first, there is a certain cultural fluency that's required in this practice, uh, which is something that you, know, you can really only acquire with time, and some people in general have more comfort doing that. Uh, but it is something that you have to be aware of, and, and it doesn't, it's not limited just to Latin America, but really applies to any other, you know, countries where you have these sorts of cross-cultural issues that may arise. Uh, people think about contracts in a different way. People think about the law in a very different way. Of course, Latin America is across the board, uh, you know, civil law. Uh, Latin American countries are across the board. Uh, uh, in the civil law, and they think about the law in a fundamentally different way in many ways than we do. And I think you have to have that kind of, that you need to be aware of that in order to, I think, successfully communicate and often deal with foreign law issues, which in our arbitrations, we really are very frequently dealing with foreign law as opposed to New York or other U.S. jurisdictions. So uh, that is something that I think initially there has to be some awareness, but it goes beyond just the law. It goes also to business practices, uh, cultural expectations, norms, customs. 
just how people communicate. All of these things are, are factors that you have to consider, and that vary. Uh, Latin America is not a monolith. Far from it. Um, there are real uh, differences. There's an incredible diversity uh, within the region, uh, even within some of the sub-regions within the region. You have you know, the Southern Cone, you have the Andean region, uh, you have, of course, Central America and the Caribbean, and other parts of Latin America that perhaps are more similar within than they are without, you know, with other areas of the, of the broader region. But the, the, these are things that you all, you have to bring to the table and that come with time as you develop as a practitioner. Just as, of course, we are different to them. And so in, in many ways. Uh, so these are things that I think you have to be, uh, at least attentive to and, and consider as you are embarking on this field. That said, what we've seen is a boom, uh, in arbitration throughout the region. Uh, some jurisdictions have invested more heavily. Uh, I, I will be in Costa Rica next week. Costa Rica is one of the real hubs that's developing uh, in the broader region, Costa Rica, Panama. Uh, Colombia has a booming arbitration culture uh, and community. Peru, um, certainly Argentina, uh, Brazil. Brazil, I spoke in Brazil at a conference a couple years ago and was really impressed at how much interest and enthusiasm there is for developing this. There are a lot of reasons for this. I think some of it relates to the efficiency of the courts and, and the broader confidence, both within and outside the country and in the judiciaries. Uh, but there are a number of factors that I think have led to this place, which is to say arbitration is at a in a, in a very good season in the region. Uh, and, and this is, I think, reflected in the number of practitioners who are engaging the field, uh, both from outside of the region but within the region. There are an inc- there's an incredible number and growing of local practitioners who have invested very heavily in this space. One of my a number of my colleagues in Mexico City, Lima, Peru, Buenos Aires, Argentina, uh, Sao Paulo, and Brazil have become experts in this field, and we work closely with them uh, in arbitration matters that may arise uh, in, related to or under the laws of their countries. Yeah, that's interesting to hear because a lot of times I hear practitioners talk about their practice in a certain geographic region, but it sounds from what you've said that there may be some broad generalizations there, but really each each case in each country is uh, is unique in both its culture and judicial system and the application of the law. So while Latin America may generally be civil law, you really have to look at each individual situation um, through its own uh, its own lens, so to speak. Yeah, each of these each of these countries, of course, has uh, different expectations, different experiences. Their their legal systems have evolved in different ways. Even though ultimately, for the most part, the region has largely been influenced by the civil code uh, that was developed initially, of course, in Europe and then in Chile, and then that sort of spread throughout the region. But the base, the foundations, are very similar. But the evolution over the last century and a half since these countries, uh, you know, became independent from, from the Spanish Empire and in the case of Brazil, of course, separately, uh, have been, have been very different and I think have led to very, in some cases, very different places. It's fascinating. Well, before I let you go, um, I know you've given us a lot of your time, so I want to, I want to be respectful of your, your schedule. 
but I do want to talk a little bit about your upcoming presentation at the annual dispute resolution section spring mm -hmm. conference that's coming mm -hmm. up this April. Um, as I understand it, you'll be presenting with Myra Selby on the topic of encouraging settlement and arbitration, a view from the country. Mm -hmm. Would you mm -hmm. mind giving us just That's a brief right. preview of that presentation? Yeah, you know, it really is a fascinating uh, uh, panel, and I'm, re I'm looking forward to, to participating in it with Myra and the other panelists. I think the idea is to talk about our experiences, what's worked, what hasn't worked. We think about uh, encouraging settlement in the litigation context through mediation. Mediation and arbitration is not quite uh, in, in the same place as it is with litigation, where, for example, in most uh, states you're required to go to mediation. Most, even in, you know, most judges will send you to mediation if the rules that even may not explicitly provide for it or require it. So, uh, mediation in, in, in the litigation context has has you know reached a, a point of uh, just being a part of the practice. It's, it's expected. Uh, in litig in arbitration, it's not quite there yet, but. Obviously, we are dealing with commercial disputes. Commercial disputes often are susceptible to negotiated settlements. Uh, and it's our job as counsel to work with our clients to bring them to this, to bring them to the, to the point, if they are prepared to do so, uh, of, of reaching some settled outcome that, that could preclude ultimately going to a final award, just as we would um, in, in the litigation context, you, you know, settling a case before you come to to the jury, if it's if, if that's where it's going, so it's an interesting panel. It is a practical discussion of our experiences and some of the things that have worked. Uh, we're going to be discussing um, settlement and you know mediation and negotiations, both in the domestic context with different practice focuses, but also in the international context. And we're also going to talk about how these play in procedurally in the in the life cycle of an arbitration. Uh, we're going to talk about early uh, negotiations. Some arbitration clauses require uh, good faith negotiations before a claim may be initiated. We're going to be talking about some of the things that you can do when you draft an arbitration clause. Uh, it, it's really quite an interesting panel. I think it's going to be a very vibrant discussion, and I'm looking forward to it. Well, it does sound very fascinating, and I'm sure, given your preview, there is going to be a lot of people uh, listening in that are going to try to attend. Um, I know you have to get going, um, but and I have some uh, a few announcements to make after after we jump we get off here. But I want to give you the opportunity to say anything else that you'd like to add before I before I let you go. No, Adam, I, I'm I'm very grateful uh, for this opportunity. I'm grateful to the American Bar Association and the dispute resolution section uh, for in encouraging this kind of discourse and in and creating this program. Uh, to allow myself and other practitioners to talk about our practices, but also I think part of our discussion has gone to helping foster new practitioners in this space. Uh, so I would hope that, you know, we continue, and I look forward to working with all of you in the future. Well, I'd just like to thank you for taking the time to join us today and talk about your practice and your upcoming presentation, and I look forward to seeing you at the spring conference, if not before. Thanks again, Adam. Thank you. Have a good one. As we mentioned earlier, the Dispute Resolution Section's annual Spring Conference will be held in Minneapolis, Minnesota from April 11th to the 13th. You can register online by going to the section's website and clicking on the Events tab. Thank you again for taking the time to talk with me today. 
Our listeners got some great insight into international arbitration in Latin America. Thank you again, and I'll see you in Minneapolis. Listeners, please check back this time next week for another episode of Resolutions, a podcast for dispute resolution and prevention. Thank you for listening.